0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Foundation Phase series of the Tar Heel Prescription, a student-run podcast here at the
1: UNC School of Medicine. My name is Abdul, and I am one of your co-hosts. And my name is Peter. I'm your other co-host for today. It's so great to see some familiar faces yet again. Today, we'll be discussing the GI block. We'll be breaking down the recipes for success with the wonderful block directors, Dr. Kroc and Dr. Moorfield. Thank you both so much for being here. If you would, please tell us a
2: little more about who you are and why you do here at UNC. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, As most of you know, I'm a gastroenterologist here at UNC. I have uh, been out in practice about six years now. Um, I did my fellowship training at UNC and drank the Kool-Aid and have stayed. So um, I have a special area of um, interest and expertise in in treating um, diseases of the GI tract, including achalasia, And uh, early cancers and large polyps um, endoscopically, advanced endoscopic tissue resection and a burgeoning field called third space endoscopy, exploiting the submucosal tissue plane to remove um, large polyps and early cancer. So that's my general area of expertise, though I see a variety of patients in my general GI clinic as well.
3: All right. And I'm excited to be back. Um, My name is Emily Moorfield, and I am in the Department of Cell Biology and Physiology. Um, I focus primarily on education, so I'm excited to be here today as your um, GI block co-director. I also get to see you all throughout the foundation phase. Um, And I'm really excited about the GI block in particular because before I started focusing on education, my um, research was in gastrointestinal stem cells. So it's one of my favorite areas.
0: Well, Dr. Moorefield, it's a pleasure to have you back. And Dr. Kroc, welcome to the show. And it's a pleasure to have both of you guys with us today to help digest the demands of this block. And to dive right in, how does the GI system compare to previous blocks, especially to folks who will be learning about it for the very first time? How should students approach learning about the GI organs?
2: So I think the GI block is different in a couple of ways from some of the other blocks. In particular, uh, most of the other blocks um, focus Primarily on one, you know, organ system, whereas in the GI block, um, we're tasked with delivering content uh, in really three somewhat distinct organ systems: the the lumen of the of the gut, uh, the pancreatic biliary system, and then the liver, um, which are, you know, somewhat distinct. Although of course they work together to help us digest um, and absorb uh, nutrients, as well as, in some cases, excrete waste. So I think that's uh, different and it can be uh, challenging uh, because in some ways they feel somewhat distinct. Uh, and so it feels like we're trying to almost deliver content in, in three separate organ systems in, in one block, which I think feels would feel different to the students. And um, and the learning that needs to go uh, along with those three different organ systems is a bit different. So we, we spend a lot of time perhaps thinking about the gut motility when we think about the lumen, uh luminal GI tract, uh, and, and that physiology is quite different than you know when we think about the liver physiology and what the liver uh does in health and disease. Uh so I think that can be challenging, but um it's really exciting because like all of our internal organ systems, they, you know, one uh system affects the other. And here you get to see that sort of in, in more of a real time um, in the GI block. So, so we really like teaching that and, and watching you all sort of make those connections as you progress through the block. Um, I think it's easy to get lost um, as a result of the sort of multiple organ systems. And so I think students, um, if you get behind, it's often more challenging to catch up because we may already be on to the next system. And and that's really challenging, I think. So um, we spent some time uh, in the beginning trying to reiterate how important it is to stay uh, up to date with us.
1: Well, thinking about logistics for a moment, tell us more about the GI block itself. What should students expect to see in terms of structure and content?
3: Yeah, so I think one of the really unique and exciting things about the GI block is that we start out with a lot of anatomy. So I know you all have seen a lot of anatomy back in cardiovascular, and now we're back and you'll be in the lab for that first week um, dissecting different portions of the GI tract. Um, And so as you go through anatomy, there's an anatomy practical that goes along with that. Um, The other exciting things that come at the beginning of the block, there's a lot of physiology, which I love. Um, in addition to a couple of histology sessions, so going through the tract, some of the um, epithelium that goes through the tract, as well as the liver, so there's a lot of different areas of histology um, in the GI block. Then as we move through into kind of the more clinical context, you'll also see that movement as we go through the esophagus down into the stomach, um, down into the large intestine, then moving on to the pancreas and on to the liver. Um, so, that's kind of an idea of the structure of how the block flows. It is a little bit of a longer block, so it's about five weeks, um, which compared to some of your previous blocks, you know, adds that extra week because we have several organ kind of systems to go through.
0: Dr. Moorefield, I'm glad you mentioned physiology, which we all love. We remember that there were a lot of moving parts to the physiology of the GI system, many different hormones, digestion products, and even a whole specialized nervous system. How should students approach learning this physiology to have the best chance at mastery?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that makes the physiology of the GI system so exciting is that there are so many moving parts. But you're right, it does add a layer of complexity. And so what I would suggest um, is learning in pieces. And so first focusing on the cells and what they secrete. Then adding on the layer of when they secrete those things or when, you know, different parts of the system are regulated and how. Um, so I think that type of regulation is really interesting, exciting, and something that you all haven't seen before because, for example, the heart, it's always beating, right? The the lungs are always breathing, but the GI tract needs to regulate its function. Sometimes there's food in there and it needs to be very active. Um, and sometimes there's not, and there are different functions during those phases. And so that regulation is exciting, but does add a layer of complexity. So I think first understanding the basics of what's where and then adding on the the when it
1: happens. As we talked about already, this block has a lot of moving parts and, and different um, organs within the GI block. So thinking about content for a moment, what would you say are the high
2: yield topics in this block, both for test taking purposes and on the wards? It's a good question, although I think it's a hard question to answer uh, to pick out just several high-yield topics from, uh, you know, three separate organ systems over, over five weeks. So uh, I think that it's perhaps, you know, helpful to think uh, these in terms of, you know, what are the high-yield anatomy topics? What are the high-yield physiology topics? What are the high-yield pathophysiology topics? And there, there are many. Uh, and I'm not an anatomist nor a physiologist, so perhaps I'm the wrong person to 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 give those high-yield uh, topics. But from a pathophysiology standpoint, I think it's really helpful not to think about one high-yield topic, but to think about where in the gut the problem is, and then predict sort of what the symptoms might be, or vice versa, what the symptoms are, and then try to pick out where in the gut the problem is. So that's a really helpful way to think about the lumen of the gut. Um, it's, It's not quite as easy to do that from a pancreatic biliary or liver uh, system uh, standpoint. I think that there you have to think more about the underlying biochemistry and more about the underlying physiology and remember what normal and abnormal is to pick out some of these uh, disease states. So um, I think it's it's challenging. There's a lot of content to learn. And um, I think, again, like Dr. Moorfield said, breaking it down into – digestible parts, um, you know, smaller smaller chunks, um, and, and really focusing, you know, to the best you can on where in this system is it a liver problem, is it likely a pancreatic obiliary problem, is it a luminal GI problem, and then thinking about what the presenting physiology is or symptoms, depending on what the question is.
1: And I remember, especially for um, the anatomy practical, there was a lot of vasculature in there, which... This is the most where we had a lot of uh, vascular questions in in any block, but it was, I thought it was pretty cool. So I would say that's high yield from our point of view as (laughs) students as well.
0: And definitely in our review for step one, um, while going back over GI, kind of having that framework of being able to localize where is the problem, what symptoms do we expect, just to kind of help almost compartmentalize everything because it is so many different uh, functions and diseases and pathophys. And while we 're still on this topic of high yield, many medical students tend to gravitate towards third party resources. So, how should students go about incorporating lectures and third party resources into their learning for this block
3: yeah that's I feel like a, a challenge in every block is finding that balance between lecture content and small group content and then the third party resources and so, I think I would definitely. Um, encourage students to focus first on the lecture content and looking through kind of what we are focusing on in those morning hours, whether it's during a lecture or a small group, um, and then supplementing with whatever third-party resources you find are most useful. And I know every student has their own favorites. Um, I know that in the, in the GI block this spring, we will have um, two NBME exams, an NBME midterm and an NBME final. And I know that that may Um, be tempting to really focus on those external resources, but I want to make sure that everyone uh, is aware that as block directors, we choose questions from the NBME database specifically based on what we cover in the morning hours in the lecture content and in the small group content. And so the concepts that we think are most important are what we are going to teach in the morning hours and then that's what we're going to test on. And so I I encourage you, you know, use third party resources that you find useful to help supplement, um, but don't forget about our um, homegrown resources as well.
1: Yeah, as we always say on the show, I mean, as students, we love to use third-party resources, but to complement what is being taught in lectures. Um, one thing I found myself using a lot during the block was first aid. They had very good charts that, that summarized a lot of the physiology. But then again, it was it was complementing to what Dr. Moorfield had taught us during lectures. So I think they go hand in hand perfectly for this.
3: Absolutely. And we try to use the first aid. First aid specifically has really great images, and we try to incorporate those into our lectures whenever possible because we know that you all are, you know, looking at all these extra resources so that you can easily find and easily kind of correlate what's going on um, in lecture to whatever you're looking at outside of lecture. So yes, I definitely agree.
0: So speaking of small groups uh, that you mentioned, how should students best prepare to get the most out of this uh, experience?
2: We are I think we're gonna do six or seven small groups uh, so it's a relatively small group heavy block I think um, and I really really like the small groups it's a it's a chance to actually get to know the students um, as a as a small group uh, leader um, you know lecture obviously is is harder to do that um, so the small groups are really designed to um, dive deeper into the material that is presented in lecture. It is not um, specifically designed to present new material, but to um have you all as students work through uh the physiology, the pathophysiology, the disease presentation, and and dive deeper into that material with um, of course, your small group, but also with your small group uh leader, which and in, in the GI block is a, almost always a faculty paired with a gastroenterology fellow. So um, the fellows can really um, bring a great energy. And I think you all um, have really enjoyed having the fellows. So I anticipate having a lot of fellows work with us this year. So it's good for them and it's good for you. But I really love the small groups. I think it, it pushes the envelope for you guys to think about incorporating the physiology and the pathophysiology into clinical scenarios that um, – Perhaps it's why you're all training to be physicians.
1: Certainly, I remember small groups. I, I enjoyed them because they were practical, and they were, like, focused on clinical, and it felt like we're actually applying the knowledge that we learned and lectured to, to more cases. The one thing I, I think I took from one of the small groups was that uh, for C. diff, you give them oral vancomycin. I think we had one— um, uh, one of our group leaders, like, we had a discussion about that. I still remember it till today. And it's very practical. I saw it over and over again when I was studying C. diff later on. But
2: um, the, the the small groups, like much of the way we think about education, not just medical education, is planned redundancy, right? And, and, and with each iteration, you go a little deeper. And, and we hope things like oral vancomycin <laughs> is the treatment for C. diff stick after <laughs> some point. Yep. <laughs> Well, in your experience, uh,
1: where do you think students struggle the most in this block? Um, and what should students do if they find themselves falling behind?
3: Yeah, so I think one thing that's a little bit unique about the GI block is that there are more modules Um, in our block rather than in some of the previous blocks that you've seen. And so I would definitely say with the modules, some of those are meant to introduce a topic so that in lecture we can go a little bit more deeper into that topic and answer questions about it. So for example, the physiology in the first week, there are several modules that introduce the basics. And then that allows that introduction prior to the lecture allows us to, during the lecture time, go into some questions and Um, talk more deeply about those important topics. Um, Some modules in the GI block are primary content, so it's important to make sure that, um, and that's the only place that you'll see it, so it's important to make sure that you review that material and know that that is testable material, even though the only place you saw it is in a module. Um, So I think that's one challenge is just making sure that you're aware of all of the topics that are um, incorporated throughout the week, whether it's in lecture or small group or module. What should students do if they find themselves falling behind? I would say reach out to us. We are happy to help. We are here and want you all to succeed. So please let us know. Um, We are happy to answer questions by email, set up office hours, however uh, students find it most beneficial. But we want you all to be successful.
2: I'd, I'd like to add one thing. I think that the shift between or from luminal GI to pancreaticobiliary into liver as a place where students may feel lost, or um, which of course is not our hope, but um, and and so we often are asked, well, couldn't we learn about the liver first because it seems like it's so hard, and then we then we have our final exam. And um, I think you know, we've thought a lot about this and we think for various reasons it makes a lot of sense to do the luminal tract first and then pancreatic biliary and then liver. But it does mean that some of the more challenging pathophysiology ends up towards the end of the block and it's good for students to recognize that that's going to happen and just be prepared that you can't let off the gas.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. One other thing that we've thought a lot about, and I don't know that it's a challenge for students necessarily, but one thing we've thought a lot about over the last several years is the nutrition content in the block. And so um, currently, I think we've struck a good balance where now a lot of the vitamin deficiencies and what first aid calls kind of um, nutrition, that's a little bit, you know. Students can kind of go through that on their own, and so that's in a module currently. It's not that exciting to just stand up and talk about each one of these vitamin deficiencies. Um, so that's currently in a module. Whereas in class, we have a nutritionist come and give more clinically based information that you know is less testable, but is much more exciting, kind of interesting, and prepares you for application phase.
0: And now on a fun note, if you guys had to pick. What is your favorite organ within the GI system?
2: Do I go first, Emily?
3: If I had to pick, I would probably pick the small intestine. So that's where lots of action happens, right? So lots of digestion, absorption. But more importantly, one of the things that really excites me about the small intestine is its regenerative capacity. So this, you know, this I studied prior to um, switching over to teaching. I studied the. renewal of the small intestine and the stem cells that are within the small intestine. And the project that I worked on was the effects of aging on intestinal stem cells. And so it was really amazing to me how much these stem cells that are located at the the bottom of the crypts in the small intestine, how much they're working to renew the entire intestinal epithelium about every week, right? And so this happens in other areas of the um, GI tract, but most rapidly in small intestine. So that's probably my favorite part.
2: Okay. Well, Dr. Morfield, you didn't let me down. Uh, you said exactly what I thought a GI physiologist would say, which is small bowel. <laughs> but as a clinician, that's not my answer. My answer um, is the esophagus, although it's not perhaps a single organ. You can think of it as a single organ if you want. I, I sometimes do. And I think it's because we take it for granted more than anything else. If your esophagus stops working, you get dysphagia, you develop trouble swallowing, and um, I think we all take that for granted, but I see a lot of patients in in my practice, especially those with with achalasia, uh, that can't swallow, and um, it's a life-threatening problem, and um, most of us take it for granted every day. But when the physiology of the uh, esophagus goes awry, it really causes a lot of problems, and it's... um, it's a really or, in, interesting organ system, organ to to think about, and and then the diseases are, are relatively narrow, so I can, you know, sort of know a lot about it, and and then often we can treat it. There's a lot of treatment options for esophageal diseases that, perhaps, is slightly less true than for small bowel diseases.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't really think about the esophagus in that way before. It's it's nice.
2: This is because you take swallowing for granted. Yeah, that is true. <laughs>
1: Well, those are all the questions we have for you today. We would like to leave some room now for you to share any other thoughts or insights that you might have about the block, about medicine, life, general advice, anything really.
2: I'll add that I'm very, very excited to be doing yet another iteration of the the course for the first-year medical students this spring, and um, I hope that students get an appreciation for not only complexity of the GI system, but also um, how fun it is to um, learn the physiology and pathophysiology and um, how important it is in health and disease and how much we have to offer patients with uh, various uh, GI and liver problems because there's really amazing therapeutics. Uh, We only touch briefly on some of the advanced therapeutics that we have, but my practice on a day-to-day basis, I am doing things that often fix, you know, patients' symptoms. And it's a really rewarding and uh uh wonderful practice. And, and so I love being a gastroenterologist and I hope we can impart uh some of this on the next uh crop of first year students. Um so I'm very excited to to meet everybody and 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 do this yet again.
3: Yep. And I'm really looking forward to the block as well. And um, just want to let you all know that you have got this. It may seem intimidating as it's several organ systems, as it's a little bit of a longer block. But we know that you can make it through successfully. And we are here to work with you um, to make sure that happens.
0: Well, I think that is a great note to end on. We're definitely excited for the MS1s for hopefully what is looking to be like a fun few weeks coming up. Dr. Kroc, Dr. Moorfield, thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your time and wisdom with us today. To our listeners, that was Dr. Daniel Kroc and Dr. Emily Moorfield in a quick snapshot into the gastrointestinal block.
1: My name is Abdul. And my name is Peter. Be sure to follow the Tar Heel Prescription on Instagram to keep up with our speaker highlights and latest episodes. Thank you again for tuning in today, and we will see you next time on the Tar Heel Prescription.